This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. As we continue our series this morning on the road ahead, uh, there's a, a couple of thoughts that came my way as I entitled this message. One is the term, one for the road. One for the road is a drinking term. And it means it's the last drink you have before you leave to get in your car to go home. Very bad idea. Two for the road was a 1967 movie starring Audrey Hepburn. Okay movie. Three for the road is the name of this morning's message. And it really deals with some things that we can see that we're going to need if we're going to navigate the road ahead. Not just the road ahead when I speak of a recovering from this virus shutdown, but the road ahead of, of us in life. And so we'll have to deal, I want to give you three things, but we'll have to deal a little bit with a, a life philosophy, your perspective of life, your, your view of life. And so we're either looking for the meaning of life or we're looking for a life with meaning. So I've got to ask you here, when I say life is what? Three things come to mind on this one. Life is, and immediately somebody's going to say like a box of chocolates. And that is, of course, from the movie Forrest Gump. I was rather dismayed when I, when I was thinking, I was thinking in my mind, oh, that was from what, about 2010? Oh, no, so wrong. That was from 1994. That movie was 26 years ago. But life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, that's a, it was a good movie. That's a bad life philosophy. The second one comes to me that says life is a highway. I'm going to drive it all night long. Well, that's a good country song, but again, doesn't make for a good life philosophy. And then the third one, and this is probably the most common one. What is life like? And some of us say, well, you know, life is, is like a journey. And you have to stop and, and smell the roses. I don't know whoever came up with that idea, but they've never journeyed with me. Because I barely stop for let my family go to the bathroom, much less stop and, and smell roses. But people talk about life as a journey. But the Bible has a different perspective and, and it really gives us a different life philosophy. And from this biblical perspective, I want to show you this in Hebrew. And, and this, is a, this is a good verse. We're going to come back to it, but I want you to see this, this verse, Hebrews 12. 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So when, when the scriptures begin to talk about what our, our life is like, it, it's not a box of chocolates, and, and it's not a highway or a journey. It, it comes more into the line of life is a race, and it deals with the idea of something that is contested. In other words, there's some tension there, and that ought not to, to upset you, it, it means that life has meaning. I, you know, I don't know if football win or how it's going to start back up again, but I can promise you one thing. I'm not going to watch a single preseason football game. I can't stand preseason football. The reason I can't stand it is because it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It's, the, it's, a, it's sort of a contest, but who cares? But when the Bible talks about our life being a race, now here's the interesting thing. The race is not me against you. You and I aren't running against one another. It's the race and the course that God lays out. It's the course that he has for us. And it's, it's our own individual race. And this is so good because it begins to give life purpose and meaning. Listen, we weren't meant 
just to cruise through life. We were meant to be challenged. We were meant to be stretched. That's what gives some meaning to life. John Buchan is a minister up in Pennsylvania said that he went to a, a community prayer breakfast one morning, sat around the table with a group of men he did not know. He said during the course of the breakfast, the subject of retirement came up. And John said the man sitting right on his left, mid-50s, began to talk about how he was really looking forward to ending his career and retiring. And the man said, when he was talking about retirement, he said, you know, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. And my wife asked me, honey, what are you going to do when you retire? And he told her, he said, I am going to sit on the couch and watch TV all day, every day. Said the group got quiet. And John said he couldn't stay quiet anymore. He turned, he looked at that guy next to him. He said, if you do that, he said, you'll be dead within a year. And the man looked at him kind of wide-eyed and said, why? Whatever for? And John said, well, if the lack of purpose doesn't kill you first, your wife will. There's no way that you, we weren't meant to live that way. We were meant to live with this idea of our life has meaning, that God has a purpose for our life. As I was thinking about this, the Lord put a, a psalm, or which is a spiritual, a spiritual poem on my heart. It goes something like this. God, the maker of heaven and earth, was not caught by surprise at your birth. He knows your days. He knows your name. He's destined you for purpose and not for shame. He has a course for your life, but it's up to you to run. So if you'll choose his plan, you'll be a blessing to man and really good things through you will be done. You see, God's got a, a great plan for us. And if we'll follow that plan, yeah, it'll have challenges to it, but it gives meaning to life. I want to give you three things that will help you as you begin to, to, to run the course, the road that God has for you. And we're going to look again at a man we looked at last week. His name is Gideon. And Gideon was living in a time when Israel had gotten away from God. And because they'd gotten so far away from God, they got in trouble. And a group of people called the Midianites had oppressed them for seven straight years. Stole their stuff, ate their food, ruined their real estate. It, it was a bad situation. And so here was Gideon and, and God sends this angel to Gideon, who is a very unlikely individual. He is kind of negative. He was negative about himself. He's negative about his family. He's negative about God. And God was so patient with him. You know, God sees so much more in us than we see in ourselves. And Gideon is a, a classic example of the patience of God. And God continues to work with him. And, and finally, God reveals himself to Gideon as a God of peace. And Gideon begins to catch on to the idea that God is for him, not against him. And we're going to pick up reading the story right here. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it's in Oprah of the Vazarites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, this is something interesting that God told Gideon. He said, first, I need you to tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. Listen, this is, 
this is one of the biggest problems that Israel had. They had started worshiping foreign gods. And the altar, Baal was a horrible god. If you read anything about his practice, the people who worshiped Baal, man, they had some bad stuff going on. And Gideon's very own father had an altar of Baal right in the backyard, right next to the gazebo. There was an altar of Baal. And so you've got that altar there. And the Lord said, hey, Gideon, uh, before you start delivering yours, I need you to tear this altar down. Not only was it, it, was it going to be something difficult, but he was also going against family tradition. This altar had probably been there for a while. This was the family's tradition. They worship Baal. Do you know that not everything our families do, it might be a tradition, but it doesn't make it right. So he said, tear down the altar. And then he said, I need you to build an altar to the Lord right there. Now, this was going to take effort and it was going to take sacrifice. It was going to take effort to do this. And in fact, he took 10 men of his servants. So it must have been a pretty big altar and, and it, a sacrifice. He was going to sacrifice the second bull, a seven-year-old bull. That's a bull in the prime of his life. Do you realize that bulls were incredibly valuable in an agricultural society, which is what Gideon was in? He was, he was a farmer and a bull was like having a tractor. It was like you could get a lot of stuff done. So there was going to be an element of sacrifice there. And he was going to sacrifice that bull. But what it was going to do by building an altar there, an altar was the place where you worship God. An altar was a place where you honor God, where they would offer sacrifices to God. And so by doing this, they're reestablishing the worship of God. This nation had gone away from God. And, And it was God who even got them to the place they were. If it wasn't for God, they wouldn't even be in the land. And so here they are, they're worshiping foreign gods. And God said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to worship. And in fact, you take that other altar and you chop it up and you use it to barbecue that, that, that bull. But I think it's really interesting that Gideon could not do it in the, in the daytime. He was so scared of his father and his household and the men of the city. He did it at night. Now, you know, when those guys woke up in the morning, they knew something was going on. Because you don't barbecue a bull all night and the people not smell something. So you wake up and there it is. And so if you see Gideon, this mighty man of valor, these are not what I would consider good steps. They're shaky steps, but they're still steps in the right direction. He, he made them. They, they, he was still afraid, but he did it anyway. And these are good steps for him, steps in the right direction. And then we see something that was pivotal in Gideon's life. It was it was a, a pivotal moment. And we see, we see something happen next that really begins to propel Gideon forward on the road that God had for him. It's found again in the same chapter. It said, then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abazarites gathered behind him. Now that's, a, that's an empowering moment for Gideon. Gideon, the guy who's, who's afraid of God. Gideon, the guy who is afraid of the people around him. Gideon, the guy who's afraid. The man who's afraid to make a daylight stand is all of a sudden gathering an army behind him. And he's blowing a trumpet. But this is not the same Gideon. This was a Gideon who was empowered by the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit of God has been in existence a long time before Pentecost. And the Spirit of God, you would see the Spirit of God come upon Samson. He would do amazing things. He would come upon different people in the Bible and equip them to do what God had called them to do. Came upon David 
And when the Spirit of God shows up, there's power there and there's good things going on. And so you see Gideon, the guy who's afraid, all of a sudden he's blowing a trumpet going, guys, you need to follow me because we're going after the enemy. The enemy gathered, but the Spirit of God was working. And boy, it works that same way today, doesn't it? The enemy may gather, but thank God the Spirit of God is working. And when he's working, that puts us in the advantage. Gideon's has an interesting life, but I want to take three things from Gideon's life, and I want to look at them and and how they pertain to our life. Three things for the road ahead. Three for the road for us and our own lives. The first one is Gideon had to tear down an altar, and we have to take out or lay down or put aside the things that hold us down and trip us up, trip us up in our life. Now, you remember that verse in Hebrews we talked about earlier? Hebrews 12, 1 that said that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Well, this is what the scripture is saying. If we're going to run the, the race before us, we need to lay aside the weights and the sins. Now, if you know anything about running, I can tell you this. If you're running, you do not want weight on you. You want to strip down to as, as, as light as possible. In fact, if you see runners run today, they look like they're wearing bathing suits. I, I ran back in high school and, and it was a little bit more conservative then. Quite honestly, I am so glad. But the, the running, but all they're doing is trying to, they're trying to go lighter and lighter and lighter. You do not want to go heavy when you're running. And you know this, if you ever run through an airport and you're, you're late for a flight or trying to make a flight and you're carrying a bunch of luggage, Man, it, 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 the longer you go, the heavier it gets. So you, you want, if you're going to run, if you're going to run a race, you're going to win a race, you want to run light. And the Bible talks about there's things that are weights and things that are sins. So let's talk a little bit about that weights. What do you mean by weights? Things, distractions and add-ons that, that slow you down. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't say that they're sins. It makes the distinction. Weights are not sins. So what do you mean? Distractions. Things that maybe, and I, maybe it's harmless. Maybe it's like a hobby. Maybe it's, it, you like to, to read or you have a hobby. And nothing wrong with that. If it consumes all your time and consumes all your thoughts, then it becomes a weight. I'll give you another weight, an add-on. If you're someone who just feels like they have to please people and you can't tell people, no, that's not a sin, but it sure is a weight and it'll slow you down. So these are things I I won't give you all. You have to look at your own life and go, is there anything that's slowing me down? Is there anything that that I need to, you know, just set aside? There have been things in my life and I realize too much time here, too much emphasis here. And I've been able just to set it aside or sometimes that's what we do, fasting. Not food, but maybe fasting television or internet, something. Anything that's slowing me down. And so you'll have to ask the Lord about that in your own life. But you don't want it because you want to be able to run strong. The next one is sins. He said the sins that entangle us and get around our feet and they trip us up and, and you hear the people, they fall. Well, man, sin is anything that violates God's truth and God's light. And I know every time I mention sin, everyone automatically thinks sexual sins. This is America. We're oversexed anyway. And we always think sexual sins, but there's more to that. It's the, it's the, the sin of how we treat people, the sin of, of speaking unkind words. We don't want to violate light. But these things cause us to trip up. I can tell you that, that being married to Joy and my family, my family will tell you that 
my biggest sin was I had a very unkind mouth and I could, I could bite and, and sting with my mouth. Well, that's a violation of God's word. It didn't help me. It sure didn't help my family. So I had to lay that aside. I'm encouraged by the idea that says we can lay it aside. So it doesn't mean we're stuck with it. It means we have the ability to go, no, not going to do that. And I can put that aside. So thank God for the good news. He said, well, Alan, man, I've been, I've been, I've been messed up. I got weights and sins in my life. What am I supposed to do? Well, the great news is we've got a merciful God. So you acknowledge that and you turn to him and say, Lord, I want to, I want to turn away from these things. I'm putting these things aside. I receive your forgiveness because he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have the ability to run unhindered. And that's a wonderful thing. So we want to tear down anything or take away lay down the things that are tripping us up and holding us up in life. And then just like Gideon built an altar, we want to build a place in our life for God. We want to build a place that, that honors God, a place that in, in our life where we give God more of our life. We want to, we want to build a place for God. Now listen, that, that's going to require some effort because and, and it often it requires time. Building a place for God means maybe that we're spending some time with him. And by the way, you don't find time with God. You make time with God. And so we're saying, God, I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah, it's going to require some effort to do. I tell you another thing it requires. It requires a word that all of us love, and that's sacrifice. There's an element of sacrifice that says, God, if I'm going to put you first place in my life, then there's some things I don't get a chance to do. But guys, here's the good news. It's not living for ourselves that makes us happy. It's living for him that makes us happy. And in 2 Corinthians here we see Paul is writing. He said, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. One of the greatest advantages of being a Christian is being a believer is it gives us a bigger purpose in life. If you want life on a bigger level, you need a bigger purpose. But as a believer, someone who says, Jesus, you died for me. And because I've accepted your death and your burial and your resurrection, because you live and I live, then that gives me an opportunity to say, I'm just not living for myself. I get to live for you. People say, well, if I don't live for myself, I'll never be happy. No, chasing happiness will never make you happy. Living with a purpose in life will make you happy. And he's a built-in purpose. I'm going to live my life for you so that whatever I do, I do it for your glory and your honor. And that makes all the difference in the world. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be full-time in ministry. You can do whatever you do for God and for his glory. There's a man by the name of Christopher Parkening who's considered the greatest classical guitarist in the world. He, by the time he was 30 years old, had accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish musically. He also was a world-class fly fisherman. But at at 30 years of old, he, he was so successful and yet he felt like his life was empty. He was weary of, of recording. He was weary of the performances and he gave up the guitar, bought a ranch and moved out to get away from everything. And he, he, he said, you think getting away from everything would make his life just wonderful. He said, but he found that his life became increasingly more empty. He writes that, that he had everything that he thought he ever wanted to make him happy. And it wasn't making him happy. He said, when you find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and you're going, what's left? Well, Christopher Parkening went to church with some friends one Sunday. 
and receive Christ as his Savior and just developed to such a hunger for Scripture. And reading through the Scriptures one day, he found 1 Corinthians 10, 31 that says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And it, lit, it just lit a fire in him. He said, I can fly fish and I can play the guitar. He said, so now because I found that verse, he said, I'm playing the guitar again and I'm doing it by the grace of God. He said, I've never felt such joy. I've never felt such fulfillment because my life has purpose. See, it's one thing to do something. It's another thing to do it for someone else. We live for the one who died for us. And that gives us purpose in life. And man, that makes that makes life meaningful. I think it was Viktor Frankl that said, it's not the, the circumstances that are unbearable that make our lives miserable. It's living without purpose and meaning. So we have purpose, we have meaning. And, and now, again, you may be thinking, whoa, <laughs> I am so not there yet. Wait, I, I want to encourage you, just be like Gideon. You might take some shaky steps, but start where you are. If you've never given God some time, carve out some time for him. You never prayed much, never felt comfortable. You can pray, you can start, but you begin to build your altar where you make time for God and honor him. It's going to make all the difference in your life. And here's the third one. This is key. We're not doing this alone. We have to acknowledge the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 16, 11. He said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, it's actually to your advantage that I go away because the very same spirit that empowered Gideon, the very same spirit that was on David, the very same spirit that was on Samson is the very same spirit that empowers us today. And he can, he can do some amazing things in our life. He was sent to help us run our race. Thank God we have a guide. We have help. We're not running this alone. He can lead us, guide us, teach us, strengthen us, and even show us things to come on the road ahead. When I was in my late 20s, I worked for my dad for a short period of time. My dad had a business back in my hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina, where he did draperies and cornice boards, and, and he hired me for just a little bit. I'm not good with my hands. I'm very dexterously challenged, but he hired me. I didn't have another job. And uh, he sent me to do a job one day at a nursing home, putting up cornice boards. Cornice boards are, are very beautiful, but they're not easy to put up. And man, I just, I hit a wall. I could not do it. I came back to the office. I was so discouraged. And I went and sat in my dad's office. I hated telling him this. I'm like, dad, couldn't do it. My dad, I never forget. My, I, I was waiting for the, the, the disappointed look. I didn't get it. He looked over at his book and he said, I'll send Lee out there tomorrow. I went, oh, hallelujah, because Lee was this amazing guy. Lee, can, he was a magician with his hands. And so on the way home, going home, I'm, I'm driving in the, in the company van, but I, and I'm, I'm thinking about my day, and then this thought hit me, Lee's coming. Now, I didn't see Lee, but my dad said he's coming. So I'm like, Lee's coming. It's going to be all right. In the morning when I woke up and I thought about going back to that same job site, the first thing that hit me was a sense of dread. Oh, no. But then another thought hit me. Oh, yes. Lee's coming. It's going to be all right. I got help on this one. 
And so, I, man, I went to work. I was cheery because I was not simply depending on my own strength and my own ability. I had Lee coming and Lee came. We got the job done. It just knocked it out. It was amazing. Listen, guys, you've got something better in your life than Lee. You've got the Holy Spirit in your life. And when you begin to think, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make this. You need to stop and think, wait, hold on a second. I've got the Spirit of God living on the inside of me. I've been empowered by the Spirit of God. I can do this. I got somebody better than Lee. I've got help. And I can handle the road ahead. So we take down the things that we don't need in our life, things that hold us back. We build a place for God, a place of honor for him. And then we acknowledge the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He can make such a difference. Today, if you're thinking about this, this message and maybe you realize, man, I, I'm not where, with God where I should be, but I, I, I want to get there. We're going we're gonna to say a simple prayer. Maybe you've never made a decision to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And we're going to pray with you. If you're by yourself, pray this prayer out loud. If you're with a group of people, just pray it quietly to yourself. But you want to, want to pray this prayer. If you have an opportunity, we have a little box that says you can, you can click a box or you can even text us. 313131. Yes, we'll get some information to you. We so value this decision. You talk about a life-changing decision. You talk about a road-changing decision, a course-altering decision. It's that course to make Jesus Christ your Lord and to live for him. So if you bow your head with me, we're going to say this prayer. I'm going to lead you in it. You say it with me. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now let me pray for you, those of you here. I'm so glad that you did that. So glad that you made that decision. Man, we're praying for you. We love you. We pray for you every week. I want to pray for those of you who recognize you. You need to move or maybe go in a different direction. Maybe you need to to ask the Lord, say, Lord, I know you got a, a, a place for me. What is it? Heavenly Father, I pray for those who you love, your children, those who've acknowledged you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you that for every one of them, you have a course, a purpose, a plan for their life. Thank you that they can make a difference simply by following your plan and obeying what you have. And Lord, thank you. It's the greatest plan we could ever have. Thank you for giving our lives purpose and meaning that go even beyond this life. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.